You're listening to the Beaver Tales Podcast, which features exclusive interviews with former Oregon State student-athletes. We talk about what they did at OSU, what the transition was like away from college athletics, and what they're passionate about now. Here's a little taste of what's coming up on this episode. I built up so much confidence with the other staff, and then this staff comes in and they don't really care about me. And I remember talking to my dad out on a fishing boat before that summer, being like, Dad, I don't know if this is going to work out, you know. This is the Beaver Tales Podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Glad to have you back on the Beaver Tales Podcast. I am Josh Warden, and we've got a big-time Oregon State football guest on the podcast today. Two-time All-American wide receiver Mike Hass joins me for a fun conversation about his time at OSU and life ever since. Mike had 1,500 receiving yards his senior year in 2005 for Oregon State, almost 300 yards more than any other player in the country despite OSU playing just 11 games that year. Hass won the Bolitnikoff Award that year. The walk-on from Jesuit High School was the best wide receiver in the nation. Hass finished his Oregon State career with 3,924 receiving yards, the most in OSU history. A sixth-round draft pick, Mike spent three years in the NFL, bouncing between the Saints, the Bears, the Seahawks, never recorded a catch in the NFL, played one year in the United Football League, which no longer exists, moved on to working for Nike for about eight, almost nine years, uh, designing football gloves and cleats, and then just recently now has a different job, uh, this last month, at Pacific Geosource, which is in Tualatin. He works as a project manager, more of a transportation engineering job. After all, he was a civil engineering major at Oregon State. I first met Mike Cass in 2016 when I wrote for the Barometer and I interviewed him for an article. And this is actually the first time where I've seen a Wikipedia article cite something I wrote as a source. I was reading through Mike's Wikipedia page and it says he's married to his wife, Rebecca. And I thought, I remember him telling me that he was engaged to his at then fiance, Rebecca, but I don't remember any other articles talking about that. So I was curious, oh, who else wrote about Mike and Rebecca? And I clicked on the footnote to see where the Wikipedia article had gotten this information from and come to see it was my article was the source material. Uh, although it's a bit of a stretch, though, because my article only said he was engaged to Rebecca. The Wikipedia page took that and said he's married to Rebecca, which, OK, that's a fair assumption that that would happen at some point. And I confirmed with Mike. So did you get married since I last talked to you? He said, yes, uh, I did get married. We're still married. We've got a couple kids as well. And uh, so Mike and Rebecca live up in the Portland area, and he's working in Tualatin. So here is Oregon State legendary wide receiver, one of two Bolitnikoff Award winners this school has ever produced. And so a pretty fun conversation, including some really interesting stories about how his career almost never came into being, uh, never worked out. I mean, he was a walk-on, so that's already obviously a big barrier. But even beyond that, a couple of things that happened at Oregon State – when Mike Riley came in and very nearly changed everything and probably would have prevented what we now know as Mike Hass's college career to happen, wouldn't have happened if, if not for these couple specific things. And we might have not really known the name Mike Hass other than a good high school player of a Jesuit, but not his college dramatics and all the things he uh, he got at OSU and a potential Hall of Famer, as we'll talk about uh, later on in this conversation. So here is former Oregon State wide receiver Mike Hass. Mike, how is life treating you these days? 
That's good. I can't complain at all for everything that's going on in the world. I'm probably the last to complain. And like you just said, if you say married through 2020 with two kids too, that is a, an impressive feat all on its own. So good, good on you and then Rebecca. <laughs> yes, yes. 2020 has been a trying year um, at home a lot, but uh, we managed our way through it. Hopefully there's a light at the end of the tunnel here. We can all get back to normal. Yeah. Well, I will come back a little bit to what your job looks like now and family life and all that. But let's kind of go chronologically a little bit uh, back to your time at Oregon State. And we'll kind of move through your, your career athletically and beyond athletically. When you were finishing out at, at Jesuit High School uh, and you hadn't had any D1 scholarship offers at that point, you know, obviously you ended up walking out at Oregon State. What were the things you were hearing from coaches if you had done camps and maybe had a few conversations? They were saying, oh, you know, maybe if we've got a scholarship, maybe we'll think about it. And then it never did. I mean, what sort of things were you hearing from the coaches back in, you know, the end of your high school career? Yeah, not much, really, to be, to be completely honest. Uh, you know, I had a great senior year, player of the year in the state of Oregon, um, but that didn't seem to hold much weight. Uh, I mean, I didn't get scholarship offers from Portland State or Montana. You know, I took visits to those schools and talked to coaches, but they never actually gave me an offer. So, you know, in hindsight, it's a good thing. I probably would have taken it if they would have given it to me. But uh, through that process and visiting schools like Utah State, Montana, Portland State, obviously visiting Oregon, Oregon State, led me to Oregon State, which was uh, probably the best decision that anybody could have made for me. It's hard to play the what if game. You can't really know what would happen in an alternate timeline. But if Montana had offered you, and you probably go and play, and and Montana's a great school, nothing against them, but like I wonder what would have happened. Would Belinikoff have been in the cards for you at Montana compared to Oregon State? I can't know, but it's an interesting possibility. But you would have taken it probably if they had offered you a scholarship. Yeah, I think I would have. You know, I mean, uh, Montana would have said, "Yeah, we'll give you a full ride." I'm like. And that's my only offer, probably there, you know, and there's no Blitnikoff. There's probably no NFL, um, you know, there's a lot that I would have missed out on. So, you know, luckily um, through the, the powers that be, I ended up at Oregon State and uh, there were some trying times in there, but the you know, rest is history. It turned out to be a pretty good career. As you were going through your career at Oregon State, three straight seasons with a thousand yards, which had never been done before at Oregon state or even in the pac 10 overall, was there a point where you got kind of tempted to, to look back at all the coaches who didn't recruit you, didn't offer you and kind of say, yeah, that's what's up. This is who I am. And kind of get a little, a little braggadocious about it. Or is that never really your style? Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, the coaches that uh, asked on you, you know, I met with, the coaches of Boise State that I played against. We played against Portland State, but that was kind of like whatever. Um, you know, every coach in the Pac-12, really. I mean, sent letters out to the schools looking for stuff. They knew who I was coming out of high school. Obviously, they weren't very impressed with what they saw. So, yeah, I mean, it's a chip on your shoulder. It's something you use for motivation. Anytime anybody, I don't want to say looks down on you, but doesn't give you the opportunities, um, it's nice to prove them wrong on the field when that happens. You had just alluded to there were trying times also at our, at Oregon State. Through all the awards and accolades and stats you put up, what were the things that were more trying at Oregon State, that whether on the field or off the field, I'm not sure, but what were the, the difficult parts in Corvallis? Oh, I mean, 
there was multiple really um one being a walk-on that's the hardest thing um you're going back to your apartment or dorm and you're making food for yourself while everybody up walks upstairs and gets a good meal you know um and then you know i, I put in the two years with dennis erickson and his crew um and i was really making some progress there i was playing a lot of special teams getting on the field even got in at receiver down at stanford in a five wide set um my redshirt freshman year. Um, so I was really making strides to um, be a part of that receiving core for them in the future. Erickson goes to 49ers, Riley comes in, um, and you kind of start all over again. So you, I'm still a walk-on. Um, I'm not one of his guys, and he comes in. Um, that spring ball was really tough. You know, I didn't get very many reps. I was pretty down. Uh, when I did, I tried too hard to to impress him um so i didn't have a very good spring from you know not the opportunity and then when i did a little amount they performed that well and i remember talking to my dad out on a fishing boat before that summer and at the end like dad i don't know if this is gonna work out you know i mean i built up so much you know confidence with the other staff and then this staff comes in and they don't really care about me and then you know coach riley tells the story before that training camp my sophomore year, uh, they almost didn't invite me back. So that's a real thing. <laughs> I almost didn't even get the opportunity to compete in that training camp just because they didn't know. They didn't know anything. And, then, you know, fortune happens to be, uh, you know, some guys got in some trouble, some guys left, that kind of thing. So I was really just brought in to be a camp body. Um, and then I went in there and just kicked ass <laughs> just every day, just kicked ass. And, uh, you know, by the end of the training camp, which is about a month, I get a scholarship. So uh, it changed that fast. By yeah, that one camp. I mean, it's crazy to think you, you nearly don't get invited back and maybe wouldn't have had there not been some extracurricular stuff going on with some <laughs> of your teammates. And what was waiting in the wings for you was a thousand yard season that year and the next year and then the year after that, Blitnikoff, all that stuff. And nearly didn't even get in training camp. So what was that? Did you know that you were going to to be that effective right in that training camp, or did you really think he might invite me back and I still just might not play that well? Like, were you sure about that? Uh, no, no, no one was sure. <laughs> I don't think anybody uh, was going to happen. Um, you just go in there. You know, I worked hard that summer. I stayed down there in Corvallis, did all the workouts. Um, I said, Hey, you know, let's give it a, let's give it one last, last go, I guess. And, uh, you know, when you have nothing to lose, you can go out there and kind of play a little free. Uh, and then I really started to build confidence, you know, with beat guys like Brandon Browner, and Eric Williams, you know, um, it really started to get confident when I continually had success against those guys who were great cornerbacks. So, um, yeah, just the building of confidence and, and going in there and working hard, you kind of, Prove to yourself, as well as the coaches, that you belong. And, uh, you know, that's what I did. And I got a scholarship, which was awesome. And that's how well I played that camp. Even before the first game started, they gave me a scholarship. So, um, you know, it was a really, you know, turning moment in the story of Mike Hass. If you hadn't – if it hadn't worked out, if they really didn't invite you back for training camp – which you were already starting to wrestle with that possibility. You had told your dad, hey, I don't know if this is going to work out. So you already kind of, I don't know if 
preparing yourself for that possibility is the right word, but you knew it was a legitimate chance. If that had been the case and your football career is over, at least at Oregon State, would you have been fine with that? I mean, it sounds tough because you were telling your dad, it's like, oh, this might be it. So I could tell there's at least some personal worry about that. But would you have basically gone on with the rest of your life, kept on studying at Oregon State, would have been okay with it? Yep. I mean, that was kind of where I was. It was, you know, football I loved, obviously, but, uh, you know, if I was wasting my time, so to speak, then you got to move on, right? Um, luckily, that didn't happen. But, uh, yeah, I was prepared to, uh, you know, just be a normal student, concentrate on my engineering degree, and uh, kind of move on from there. Fortunately, uh, that didn't happen, but that was where I was, yeah. And, like I said, when you have nothing to lose and, you just give it one last go, give it everything you got, and luckily for me, it worked out. It seems like you were somewhat ready to move on. It would, I'm sure it would have been hard, but somewhat ready. Now, even though you were ready at that point, the fact that your football career then lasted about seven more years after that, three more at Oregon State, about four post-OSU, when it actually did come to an end circa 2009, right around there, were you as ready then, or to the fact that your arc had changed so much in football, were you less ready when it actually did come to an end? I was actually less ready for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I was with Seattle. Um, Pete Carroll just came in, uh, taking over for Jim Moore Jr. Um, I'd been in the league for four years by then, um, you know, on and off practice squads and everything, but I was there and you know, making good money and you know, living the dream, right? Um, you know, the NFL is a league where very few people get to say when they're done. And that's just the, the reality of the situation. Um, and that's what happened to me. And they said, uh, you know, we're moving on from you. I wasn't ready to be done playing football. That's why I went out to Omaha and played the UFL for a year. Um, but no, I mean, I don't think any, very many, you got the Tom Brady's or guys like that who get to decide when they're done, but you know, for the most part, when you're in the NFL, they're going to tell you when you're done. <laughs> yeah. so no one's really ready for that. That is crazy how you you had kind of come to terms with ending and then success in of itself made it more difficult to leave, which makes sense that the better you are at something, the harder that end is to come. I remember you telling me when you did ultimately finish your football career, you played in the in the UFL, which doesn't even exist anymore, but hey, keep keep playing, go to Omaha, do whatever you got to do. It finally came to an end, and you knew, okay, this is it, I'm done playing football. And you even, I think at that point, had a connection with Nike, you, you had some stuff lined up, but before going into your professional non-athletic career, you took a, a gap year of sorts and just didn't work for, I don't know if it was a full 12 months or the exact length, what did you end up doing for that year where you're coming to terms with no more football and how that impacted you? Yeah, it was a great year. <laughs> really. Um, you know, I was done playing football. Uh, some Canadian football leagues you know, were calling me and the UFL was still there as an option at the time. Um, but it wasn't really worth it, you know, to be honest. Uh, if you're going to play the game of football and you're going to go through the rigors that that game uh, gives you, um, I believe, the compensation needs to be worth it. And up in Canada, they play 18 games. It's cold. You're getting beat up. And the monetary value isn't there. 
that's just smart business move, I like to say, right? <laughs> and so I took a year off, lived at my parents' place, went out fishing, looked for houses, a place to settle down, um, and then kind of contemplating what my next move was, you know, and I had connections at Nike. I was a Nike athlete when I was playing in the NFL. Um, I had people I knew that worked there. I started talking to a few people, seeing if that would be a good fit um, at that time. And uh, ultimately, through the process, I got a job there and I worked there for nine years. And, uh, you know, it was a fun nine years. The last few years were different. That company's changed. It's very corporate now. But, you know, I got a new job, Pacific Geosource, uh, which is a great job and a great opportunity. I'm excited for it. That's awesome. I'll, I'll ask a little bit more specific about what that job looks like and getting into some civil engineering stuff. But in terms of your reflections from that, that year off and the, you know, kind of planning out, okay, what's, what's next for me as a non athlete? What sort of, I don't know, realizations about yourself and your drive and what you wanted to accomplish? If there, if there were some epiphanies or not, maybe it wasn't anything too dramatic and that's okay. But what sort of things did you start to put into words of, Hey, here, here's what I want to do with my life and, and why I want to do it or anything along those lines. Yeah. I think coming from the sports world where I was, um, I wanted to stay in sports. You know, I'd only been a year removed from playing football was still kind of in my blood. Right. Um, so Nike provided me that opportunity to stay in the sports world, um, but not actually play that sport. So I worked on receiving gloves. Um, it's kind of a way to stay close into the game at that time. Absolutely. So now in your job at Pacific Geosource, get to do some more transportation engineering stuff. What is, what does that job look like? And using your your civil engineering background, what you're doing there, what's what's kind of the the day to day operations and projects you do with Pacific Geosource? Yeah, it's a pretty cool job. It's uh, so what we do is we provide the engineering and transportation industry. Um, with solutions, advanced solutions, um, with reinforcement, uh, mainly fibers, give the asphalt and concrete, make them tougher, make them last longer, uh, mitigate the cracking. Uh, we also have geo grid or rock grid, which we work with the lumber companies. Um, they lay that down before they make their roads, um, primarily their rock roads, so they can use about half the amount of rock they want to, and then they can build their roads faster to make more money to haul out logs. So, it's working with, uh, you know, public companies, ODOT, the cities of, you know, say Sherwood, where I live, um, working with them on what projects they got going on, seeing if they want a better solution to what they're, they're currently putting out there. Um, then you work with the private companies as well, uh, like the Walmarts and their parking lots and all that kind of stuff. So um, there's a lot, which is awesome. Um, and it's a really, you know, it goes back to my roots at Oregon State where, I was a civil engineering degree, um, and I get to use that now, which is pretty cool. Had you finished that civil engineering degree during your plank, or maybe the spring after your senior year? Yeah, so my so I redshirted so five years. Um, I took that winter off and went down to Florida to train for the combine, and then came back that spring term and finished up my degree before heading off to New Orleans. 
A quick interruption on this episode to let you know about a special project I think you'll enjoy, the Beaver Tales documentaries, including exclusive audio interviews, narration, and retelling what made the 2018 Beaver baseball postseason so special. Every single game, Oregon State would play in Omaha. Two or three really weird things that maybe I'd never seen before would always happen. When he hit the home run, out of my coaching career, that's without a doubt the most exciting thing I've ever been a part of. This audio documentary series will come out in a few months. To subscribe, there's a link in this episode's description. Check out the website and put your email down there so you can be one of the first people to listen to the Beaver Tales documentary. All right, back to this episode. Now that you, we mentioned at the beginning, you were engaged in 2016, I think married that same year. You got two kids now. Uh, what, I mean, I know you met Rebecca at Nike. What does family life look like and, and marriage for four, four and a half, whatever it is exactly years now and having two kids? What's, what's family life like and how that's impacted you as, as a person and now as a dad? Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Being a dad is one of the coolest things. You know, I played in the NFL, but being a dad's better than that. It's, it's one of the coolest things I've ever experienced. Um, I've been married for over four years now. we got two kids. Uh, my son, who's three, named Logan, and then um, my daughter, Gwen, who is one. Um, so it's busy. <laughs> it's busy at the household, for sure, having two young kids. Um, we got through 2020, where we were at home pretty much the whole year, trying to work and have the kids around. Um, so I think if a marriage can survive that, I think we're in pretty good shape. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, that's good stuff. Well, one last question or two, I, I saw more of a football related one last summer. I think it was in June. They announced the whole college football hall of fame ballot of all the players who would be on there and possibly inducted in the college football hall of fame. You and Ken Simonton were on that list with a, almost 80 players in total. Uh, they at the time they had said we'll announce the actual players being inducted in early 2021, and then the induction ceremony at the end of 2021. I, I don't think they've announced that yet. Do you know the latest? And I'm also curious how how big that is. Some guys really care. Some guys couldn't care less. Where, where are you on that spectrum of how important that is to you? And if you've heard actually more info about that, I haven't heard anything else about it. Um... They actually didn't even contact me when I was nominated. The school did, Oregon State did, so they contacted Oregon State. They probably didn't know how to contact me. So, but uh, that'd be a cool, cool honor. Um, you know, you think about some of the players that that are on that. Um, it's gonna be tough to get into that. Um, you know, you have a lot of guys that really had established NFL careers and whatnot. But yeah, it'd be something that'd be special to me for sure. The National College Football Hall of Fame is is a that'd be a pretty big notch on the belt to, uh, to be able to say I'm in that. Yeah. Well, one last kind of overarching question I usually like to, to ask about, um, kind of based on the life lessons you've learned. I usually ask what advice would you give yourself when you were finishing at Oregon state and how, whatever, you know, however many years the person I'm talking with has been out. Sometimes it's a year, sometimes it's 50, for you, we're talking, you know, about 15 or so. So in that decade and a half, uh, the things you've learned, how you've changed as a, a worker, an athlete, a dad, a husband, what advice would you have given yourself in 2005 um, that has been helpful for you to know ever since then? I think I would say enjoy the moment more. Um, you know, I was, a, I was a guy who was going into the National Football League, um, and it was always about the next step or moving forward or getting better and not really enjoying 
that moment that I was in. You know, I got drafted. I was like, I was upset that I was drafted in the sixth round instead of the fourth round, you know, or the third round, right? Um, but I was drafted in the NFL. I should have enjoyed those moments more as they were, as I was there in them. Um, I think that was the biggest thing. You know, I look back on it, I goes, wow, that was really cool, actually, right? But at the time, it was like, oh, I wanted, you know, more to be better. And obviously, those are good traits to have in anything you're doing. But you also need to sit back and enjoy um, life as it is in the current moment you're in. I really like that. And plenty of moments that'll be enjoyable and taxing and busy with the two kids and the wife. So plenty of, <laughs> plenty of more opportunities to put that life lesson into use down the road, but uh, a very good lesson for sure. Um, yeah. Well, Mike, thanks so much for your time. Best of luck to you with, with the job and the family and everything. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate your time. Josh, no, it was great, man. Always good talking about the, uh, the good old days. Well, that was an honor to talk with Mike Cass, obviously one of the greatest Oregon State football players in school history. And I had been meaning to talk to him and reach out. And even when I started this podcast, I thought, hey, I, I know I can reach out to Mike Cass, see if he'd respond. And I just was like, well, I'll do it at some point. I know I'll do it eventually. And and I just said, okay, I, I got to reach out and text him, get him on the podcast, better late than never. And uh, really fun to talk with him. Hope you enjoyed that conversation as well. If this is the first time that you've listened to this podcast, I also use it for charitable purposes, just give some free advertising to a different nonprofit on every episode. The one I'm talking about today is Food for the Hungry. Just a quick 20-second synopsis of what they do. They help people all over the world uh, finding the resources they need and empowering them to help uh, a sustainable lifestyle, not just throwing money at the problem, but lifting them up to the next, next stage of life and really providing uh, helpful resources to people in various communities. You can see all the campaigns they're doing if you go to fh.org. Again, that's fh.org. Thanks again for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast as I near the century mark. Got some women's basketball guests and football and all the sports represented as well. Coming up on the podcast, volleyball as well. Abby Wendell coming up, uh, who's now Abby Swancut, marrying Bill Swancut. So uh, will join me on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Josh Warden. Until next time, have a great day, everybody, and go Beavs. <laughs>